Wildfire Podcast is an extension of Wildfire Ministries, an organisation that has a focus of igniting men and women of God into a deeper discipleship with Christ, instilling them with a passion to radically and relentlessly pursue Christ wherever that leads, that God's truth will spread like a wildfire. Hello everybody! <laughs> Welcome back. It's been a while. Uh, if you know, you know. Yeah. You know. People know what just happened there, but... Other people are going to be so confused yeah. and wonder why you did what you just did. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. We move on. We move on. Peter, where have we been? What's going on? It's all your fault, basically. It's all Peter's fault. It is. It's all your fault. It was my fault in the summer, and then when we got back to the uni schedule, you were always sick or something. <laughs> You're too frail. Look, that's the problem. Basically, what we're trying to say is it's, um, yeah, it just it hasn't worked out. We've got to say it hasn't worked out. Every time we've tried to go and record a podcast, yeah. um, something's came up. Somebody's got to talk why. Yeah, we're recording. Just checking the audio. Because we all know what happened the last time we did this. We recorded the full podcast with, with Dad mm-hmm. for ages and then got to the end and found out that, yeah, we didn't record the audio. Yeah. But uh, but no, we're not going to make any more excuses because that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll be better, hopefully, and have, have more weekly episodes from now we'll on. We'll be better. Yes. <laughs> so that's that. But what have you been up to, Luke? Um, uh, nothing much. Nothing. I tell you what. I, I tell you what. I need to to say. I said we were going to talk about this. Is mm-hmm. my complete inability to 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 say names, to remember names, to acknowledge names. For example, this morning was just an absolute tragedy. Whenever we were going for coffee, uh, so uh, you didn't hear about whenever I arrived first. Uh, there's this guy that um our youth coordinator Daniel was talking to, and then I said, "Oh yeah, it's Paul, isn't it?" And he's like, "Uh, Phil." So that's when it started. I was like right okay that's you know what i mean it's not that bad i don't really know the guy uh and then we moved on and then we're speaking with daniel okay our youth coordinator like we're having coffee with him and i say i call him david twice twice <laughs> it's like you know what i mean and he's like correcting me and i'm like no it's definitely it's definitely david um so that's just me peter uh need to work on that yeah so please forg- forgive look for any lapses in judgment or logic or anything in today's podcast he's... yeah i know i'm very tired yeah. and i'm scared about what's going to happen but hopefully we'll be and the book fine. of job which is a very easy topic to talk about and, <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly that's why you'll yeah. be championing uh championing it so uh what about you anything worth mentioning yeah, i was just working over the summer a uh, bit of lifeguarding and saving co- lives and uh sometimes <laughs> how many lives did you save over summer none <laughs> great yeah <laughs> it's preven- but, prevention is the main thing exactly. giving people warning so on had been drowning you would have said oh of course you definitely have told me stories about Few, I've assisted people. Few, yeah. Uh, yeah, a few instances. Yeah. Um, and then I was working for uh, Cosmic Co-Steering as well with Ma- Mally Lighton. Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, did a bit of co-steering, so yeah, yeah. that was good fun. And uh, is there any other shout-outs that you want to... Uh, I hear you have to give people... Oh, yeah. Uh, Stram Miller's technology and <laughs> design department. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, we're so famous. People <laughs> yeah. are just looking shout-outs on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so enough about us and uh, all our jazz. What, what the heck are we talking about? You just mentioned it, but... Yeah, so today we're going to talk about the book of Job, and um, well, it's, it's kind of part two in our suffering talk, but maybe you want to talk more about that, Luke? Yes, that's true. I should talk about yes. that. So, originally what we did, we did the book of Habakkuk, uh, and then what we find is that really talks about suffering quite a lot, and so that thrust us in to the whole area of suffering, and especially when it's, it's uh, poignant more than ever uh, in a worldwide pandemic. Uh, where it's been suffering's been brought to the forefront of conversations um, so we decided to do Habakkuk and then uh, that was our, our book our bible book as a foundation and then we decided to do something experiential which was an interview with my dad Mark on suffering and his cancer journey uh, and then today we are going back 
to the Bible book, which is Job, uh, on suffering. And then we're going to complete it and top it all off with why does God allow suffering? Question mark. And actually, you know what I mean? Hopefully address and answer some of the questions that we all have. Um, so yeah, we're on the Job part, which is going to be like the third part of a four-part series, okay. basically, so- of our... Suffering, yeah, or what our views are on it. And for those of you who have knowledge of Job, you'll know it's quite a long book and quite a complex book. Lots of Hebrew poetry and dialogue, and um, it's like almost like a mini epic. So it's safe to say, in twenty minutes, we're not going to cover it in as much detail as perhaps some of the smaller books we've done, like Habakkuk. Yes. So instead of going chapter by chapter for all forty-two chapters, we're just going to first of all outline the structure, the context of where the book takes place, some of the characters, and a basically overview of the story. And then finally, we're going to look at the main philosophical and theological moral arguments put forward to explain why suffering takes place in the story of Job. So we're going to take a look at four of those arguments and then finally just close with some lessons that we as Christians, Christians can learn from this. Yeah. So all in all, a very, very straightforward, easy episode. Yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> and, <see>. uh, <laughs> I've really thrown this all on Peter, to be honest with you. So he's going to be... Uh, uh, but I, I feel like I'll try and aid as best I can. Yes, but I've got the the blessed role of just basically asking you questions yeah. and well, you have more experience with suffering though. Yes, because you get made fun of a lot. Uh, exactly. Kind of things, so. That that was of no relevance whatsoever. Yeah. That was more uh, you just that's right. You just slagging me off and yeah. no relevance that to wasn't suffering. Too bad, look. What a good what a good segue yep. into suffering. Let's just let's just begin. Tell me the context of this book. So uh, the context it says it begins. It says. Um, in the, in the land of Oz um, is where it takes place. That's where Job lives. Uh-huh. We don't really know. I quite I tried to look at like Google and a few commentaries and stuff. People aren't really 100% sure, so I'm not going to give a definitive answer where Oz was, but most scholars reckon it was somewhere south or southwest of like where Palestine is, so somewhere in the Arabian Desert. Hmm. Um, so that's roughly our location. But then that means it's not in Israel. So most of the Old Testament is the story of Israel and the Israelites. So this makes Job quite unique in that he's not an Israelite. He's someone from outside the... The sphere of, and an influence of that time, mm. um, or of that tribe. Sorry, so it's like Ruth. Yes, is it similar? Well, Ruth was a Moabite, a Moabite, yes. but then she was brought into the land. Yes, eventually through with uh, Marion Boaz and stuff. Uh-huh. Whereas Job, I I believe none of his story takes place in Israel. It's all in us, mm. as far as we're aware. And I'll throw a ten-second grenade in, but you don't have to answer this again. Okay. Okay. Oh, we're only in this context. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously, people have said Oz is uh, you. Know, fictional yes not fact and the book of job is more so uh oh, allegorical. An, uh, yes an yes. allegorical mm-hmm. narrative but sure people say that about a lot of things to be honest with you like yes. yeah people just say oh it's metaphorical yes but uh yeah you don't well, have to ad- address all of that or answer all of well, that well i was doing a short response again there's <laughs> i'm sure there's the bible project do a few podcasts on that although i think they actually they, they would wouldn't have to give a definitive response either i would say i would more lean into the fact that this did take place more so because if we treat all Bible stories like that are the ones that don't definitively we have historical evidence for. Then where do we end up? Half the Bible will be allegorical. Yeah. So I think it's safer to go on the side of this actually happened, and then if it's allegorical, what, what does that change? Where we get more benefit of treating yeah. it like a real story. So you've got that this is a literal story, or that this is an allegorical story. Either way, the principle, the theological teaching, God's message remains the same. Yes. But because of our biblical hermeneutic or the way that we approach the Bible, mm-hmm. me and Peter, we say that it's simply it's easier and more of a consistent approach to simply say that this is 
a little story. Yeah. There's simply no grounds to say that it's not. Because then you could start doing that about every story, which people seem well, to do. Well, not, not every, but quite, yeah, quite quite a lot of the stories that don't have necessarily, like, yeah. blatant historical facts um, that are as demonstrated just in, from historians and stuff. Yeah. Sorry or, for that digression, Peter. No problem. Well, uh, that leads us on to the, the uh, next point I had on the sorry. context, which that's, is... Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> the, there's a theory that um, Job is, an, is, in fact, King Jobab of Edom which is from Genesis 36, which is just a theory, but that somewhat maybe connects us to uh-huh. the rest of the Bible. It's just an idea. It's just something to throw out there. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe that or not. There's not really that much evidence on it. Yeah, I've no real bearing of no, what we're going to be just, talking about. Yeah, tonight, exactly. So. Yeah. Um, and then just the structure of Job, um, you get chapters 1 and 2, which is almost like a prologue, sets up the story, the context, kind of like we're doing here. Chapters 3 through 37, which is a lot of chapters, is Job and his friends have a new dialogue. Uh-huh. It reads almost a bit like a play. I mean, you did English lit more than me, look, so maybe you could speak to that if you want <laughs> to. But it's it's a lot of dense Hebrew poetry and stuff. It's quite heavy reading. Yeah, and, and it's ancient literature as well, yes. so I don't think my <laughs> yeah, true. contemporary English like class is going to help me here, to yeah. be honest with you, maybe. That's well, all right. We'll see. And then chapters 38 through 41 is God's response to Job and, and his friends and the whole question of suffering. And chapter 42 is just an epilogue, and it's just basically the author wrapping up the story and how it ends. Mm. So, look, could you give us a wee quick summary of the story of Job, for those who don't know? I can, Peter. I can indeed. Okay, so we start off with a little bit of context, as Peter just addressed, about, like, location, background, who we're talking about, Job. Uh, we get insight that he was uh, a righteous man uh, that could stand before God innocent. And then, all of a sudden, we get thrust into this divine courtroom, so, like, into these heavenly courts. And we see an interaction between Satan and God. And Satan basically uh, says to God that your servant Job, whom you're so proud of, uh, is is only is only righteous because of the good things that you give him, because of the blessing that you give him, and that if you were to strip that, take that all away, then all of a sudden he would basically uh, no longer be righteous. He'd Rather, he'd he curse would, you. He would curse you. Yeah. He would reject you. Uh, and so this is presented uh, before God, and God says. Uh, God gives sovereign approval, permission for Satan to then go attack Job. And so then... He says you cannot take his life. Yes. That's the one thing God says. And then the next stage is that Satan then attacks Job uh, with everything except taking Job's life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we see that Job's children, uh, household, uh, his, his livestock, occupation, status... Everything that you could think of. And there was a lot there. Job was a very rich guy. I think he said he has 7,000 sheep or something like that. Like he, for his time, he would have been one of the most influential and richest men in the land. Yeah. So uh, we then, uh, uh, once we bypass all the suffering that's taken place, we're then given insight into uh, three friends that come and visit Job. And they basically act as um, uh, just as conversations that are trying to understand what's taking place, trying to give explanations, justification why for why the suffering is taking place in Job's life. And each time we see like a rebuttal from Job saying like why the friends are wrong. Uh, and then we see a fourth friend. He comes and, and he also says something, uh, but says something a little bit different. You touched on that later. Yeah. As opposed to now. Uh, yes. Uh, and then uh, like the cherry on top of the cake builds to the climax. The best to last is god's dialogue with job and we see insight into that so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a pretty epic story but that's a summary yeah and the divine courtroom scene it's quite um it's if you're not really used to reading the bible as the ancient hebrews would i think it's kind of far away from our our understanding because it's the idea that god is there and it's a literal courtroom yeah uh the way we would imagine it and there's the satan walks up to god and asks some questions it's not which is quite different, I, I mean, from my understanding of what 
might yeah. just be my understanding of the Bible. Definitely wouldn't be a thought that would have came into your head prior to reading this passage. No, exactly. Like, it's definitely a thought that's instilled by this passage alone. That, like, to me, you know what I mean? You think of Satan being cast down to earth, and mm-hmm. you never think of him going before into heaven again yeah. and, and approaching God, uh, the holiness of God. But yeah. uh, very interesting. Yeah, and then I just I sat a wee quick another ten seconds for names. You like to say, <laughs> look, um, it's just that can we imagine Satan having to do this for us or some of his his uh, demons coming up and talking about our lives? It's like I've looked at your servant; he is righteous. But if you took everything away from him, is that or the minute is? Um, looks not a threat so he doesn't need to march up to God and say I've looked at Luke and he's righteous is that something Satan can do with us or are we not really providing him much of a threat that's just a wee side, side alley we side alley we practical application yes. there but we actually are going to talk about that their thought a little bit more in the suffering uh, episode well yes you didn't know that but you know I, 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 yes, okay. <laughs> no, I do because that's spoiling. what I'm going to bring yeah, sorry for spoiling uh, that okay uh, keep going um, so the way we're going to talk about it is just the four arguments presented Okay. Like I said at the start, for, for the philosophical, moral, theological, whatever you want to call it, the reasons for, for this suffering. So the first one is by Job himself. So Job's argument is that he is innocent. He hasn't sinned against God. The implication of this is his suffering is not divine ju- justice. Um, and the conclusion then is that God doesn't run the world according to justice or God is unjust. Those are kind of the two options from what Job's saying. So Fascinating. If you, so if you were to summarize all of Job's thoughts... That's the conclusions. So God is unjust, or he doesn't run the world according to justice, he just lets it do whatever. Mm. Which is probably what a lot of people today think. Like, when, as soon as some... It's the yeah. typical movie scene anyway, where people, something bad happens to someone, and they say, why would you do this, God? Um, assuming from that that he's unjust. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, what's argument two? So argument two is from Job's friends. So they say God is just. So the implication is that God does run the world according to justice and therefore in their minds the only option is Job must have sinned that's okay. what happened so Job sinned and then God's just so he's going to punish Job okay so Job's in a place and it's interesting because Job is the one his vantage point is the one going through suffering yes and as you said that's a lot of what people think that either mm-hmm. God is is simply unjust because of my situation my circumstance there's literally no no other alternative whenever I self-reflect God is simply unjust here in the way that i am being treated or that simply uh there is justice as an abstract but god's simply not uh implementing it yeah or or for, or enforcing it and then the friends are like they reject that yeah. of job and they say no god is god so is it's just. you but yeah so, you're and so you have another category of people who are like yeah and eh, no it's your sin it's your faith mm-hmm. that's the explanation which you will see occasionally from chris from some christians if they yeah. say christian suffering they'll they'll say oh he must have sinned in some way that's private that we don't know about. Yeah. Which again, I'm again, we're all imperfect, so everyone probably has it. <laughs> but the question is whether that is what's led to the suffering. And they're right in the sense that it is our sin mm-hmm. collectively as humanity yes. and our sin as individuals that has made suffering a reality. Yes. But they're uh, But you don't want to personalize it. Exactly. So like, yes, that diagnosis of cancer is directly linked to this sin yeah. of you lying to that person which that's is quite, why quite a dangerous game to play because you're almost playing god and that's yeah extremely like, dangerous you're, there's literally the no grounds for like no biblical grounds whatsoever for you people to do that yeah so that's argument two argument three is from the fourth friend that comes along elihu so he comes along near the end of the um i think i mentioned the chapters earlier he comes along a bit near the end of the book and he says that god is just so he agrees with the second friends the implication is also that God runs the world according to justice. However, he has a separate conclusion. His conclusion is that suffering 
maybe a warning to avoid future sin because it builds character. So suffering acts as a deterrent. Yeah. So it's like to have, prevent you. Yeah. To put put it in an illustration, it's like sending someone to prison for five years, and then letting them out and says, "Okay, now you know what prison's like. Don't sin, or else you'll end up back there." That's F- along the lines. That's along the lines of what Elihu's saying. So he's he agrees like God is just and all those things, but it's like here, this is a bit of a warning of what could happen if you do sin. Right. And it builds your character so that you won't want to do that mm. by threatening you interesting but then he also says don't accuse god of being unjust so the, the good thing about elihu is he's he's very strong and he's like god is just like he, he knows that which is yeah. something at least yeah he's he's recognizing the complexity of what they're talking about but he's also saying uh, there's a definitive line where you never diminish or try and destroy the character of god that remains the same in this mm-hmm. so uh yeah that's good yeah and then do you have some verses for us to read look so this is the fourth argument um, yes. about God, yes, God, God's response okay so you have all these friends and they're bringing their arguments and then we see God of the universe the one who created everything the judge of, of everything comes in and says the following so this is Job 38 who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge dress for action like a man I will question you and you make it known to me where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? So this begins these passages of just rhetorical questions. So God is asking these questions, but he's not expecting Job to answer it, nor does he want Job's response, because their questions were like, like, who do you think you are, Job? Uh, so Job, despite everything that he's lost, okay, God comes in, not with this uh, a sympathy, but rather God comes in questioning Job, mm. uh, saying, why are you questioning me and my character? Why are you saying that I am unjust? And he, he puts Job into a perspective and says, like, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created you? Where were you whenever I, um, I, I imposed and instilled justice and love and these, these, these abstract things that you've literally know no knowledge of, no understanding of. Yeah. Yet you have the audacity to challenge me. Yeah. And I believe he's actually also talking to the friends here as well, who uh-huh. said some true things, but he said even despite those true things that God is just, which is true, all their other points he said, why do you have authority to even talk about these things? You know, you know absolutely nothing compared compared to what I do because I laid the foundations of the earth. Mm. Um, so God's response is basically that God chose sh- uh, that Job, but also his friends, were working under the assumption that they had enough perspective on the matter to give an argument for suffering. This is the same assumption shared by atheists, agnostics, and even some Christians today when addressing this problem of suffering. Job doesn't have a universal vantage point, so cannot judge God. Neither do we. It's it's quite simple when you get down to it. Why can hum- humanity has been bothered with this problem of suffering for mm. as long as we've been around, and we've never had a proper answer. So what expects us to have the answer now? We're not in charge of the suffering, so and we're not outside of the suffering. So why can we give uh, an answer that's without doubt, without shadow of a doubt, true, except for relying on God? Yeah, exactly. So so often or not, you find that people uh, reject God, uh, and even they may say they believe in God, but they still reject God in their lifestyle. And then whenever suffering comes along, they then insert God so they can put blame. Yes. Somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, you'll find that people people do that uh, do that a lot. 
I was going to say something from C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to refrain. I'm going to exhibit self-control and not do it. Okay, save it for next time. Yeah, we might come back to it if there's time, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, So, and then just another wee caveat is the book also gives examples of like Behemoth and Leviathan, which are some big massive dinosaurs um, that used to roam the earth. So some people say Christians don't believe in dinosaurs. There they are in the there Bible. <laughs> one of them's a water dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, stepping, not the technical uh, thing. Yeah, I don't know. What one of them's the water dinosaur. I don't know why that was even relevant, though, to be honest. Um, it's just cool. Yeah. But uh, again, the example from that is just these massive creatures. We know Behemoth was a massive dinosaur. I think possibly one of the largest. So it's God's like this huge animal, and I have authority over it. I created it. Mm. why do you think you have any responsibility or any knowledge of anything yeah. when you know nothing yeah like this is an okay yeah because humans place themselves in a position of supremacy mm-hmm. over animals yes and then uh, god is literally saying like look at this animal and its power and its strength and its its ma- majesty and look at your insignificance in mm. contrast to that okay now put yourself in a bit of perspective to me god of the universe yeah like you feel inferior whenever you face this animal mm-hmm. you know what i mean so yeah. Uh, I was listening to uh, an excerpt from a Joe Rogan podcast the other day, and he was talking about how like um, religious people trust the Bible. I think it was back in like twenty fifteen, so I don't know if he's changed his mind in this sense. But I think, um, he said about how religious people tr- trust the Bible or other religious books. But what's he trusting in? He's trusting in the scientific equipment to measure the universe. So he's also trusting in something. It's just something different. Mm. Everyone, he just likes from his perspective. He's just the one in charge of what he trusts. Whereas us, we're giving our trust over to God. He's in charge of our lives. Yeah. Everyone trusts in something. It's just what you're going to put your trust in. So it's either trusting Joe Rogan <laughs> or trusting God. Yes, or trust, well, trust in man. Trust in any man. Yes, yeah. or trust, Joe Rogan trust was God. just an epitome of yeah. man. <laughs> Not an epitome, just an example. <laughs> uh, so, yes. Um, brilliant. Will yeah. we summarise? So we can summarise with just a few lessons we, we can learn from this then? Um, yeah. So, in this book, what I find is we don't, always get the answer at least job job and us as humanity whenever we're faced with suffering or any difficult circumstance we don't always get the answers that we want but it is important to acknowledge that we do have the answers that we need mm-hmm. uh, that is to say that we have god's word we have the spirit of god that lives within us we can have communion with god pray with god use our wisdom and understanding to simply see what god actually says about suffering and, and we should begin with that first. We should actually have an understanding of uh, what does the Bible say about suffering before we start asking other questions or going to blame God because our answer might be there already. Yeah. Uh, so it's important to uh, important to acknowledge that about what we see in the book of Job is, is God is sovereign uh, and that suffering only comes after God allows it. Yeah. So God has to first allow suffering to take place in our lives, which then leads to us understanding that if God is allowing us, we must have a trust and a faith uh, that God is allowing suffering to develop our character, mm-hmm. to grow us, and to achieve the ultimate purpose in life, which is to know God and grow closer to him. Yeah. And it's a sad reality in a sinful world that suffering seems to be a necessity, uh, a necessity to, to do that. In order to get close to God, we seem to need suffering because... Uh, it acts as a mirror that shows our own inability, <laughs> etc. But that's getting into the next podcast. Sure. Yeah, you can leave that um, so, yeah, noticing God's sovereignty here and also putting in place uh, another lesson is always start with a humble posture. Mm-hmm. Always start with uh, you're in the wrong <laughs> and it's not God. 
and uh, always think of that there passage. I, I think Job 38 is a good passage. Uh, whenever you're questioning God, um, whenever you uh, think God is unjust, the circumstance that you're going through is unjust, read Job 38. Yeah, and another verse I like to throw in there is one from Genesis. It says, "Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right?" Mm-hmm. That's who we have our faith in. So it's like, again, some of those points you talked about. It's have faith in God with the little things, so yeah. you, you can practice your faith, and then you'll have more. You'll have better faith when something yeah. big comes along. Whereas if you just neglect God in your daily life, say you're a Christian, you don't. You just neglect God with everything else. Then why would you expect to have all this great faith when it comes to when a great challenge comes along, like Mark's cancer journey, for example? Yeah, if something like that happens to you. How are you going to cope with it if you can't cope with God and and having faith in him with in Him with small things? Yeah, and we will talk about in like there is more detail that can be given to suffering and what you're going through. There is there is reasons and there is justification. There is explanations that do help bring clarity to a person going through suffering. Uh, there is things that do help gain an eternal perspective. But that all that <laughs> to say, we simply must trust God. That won't the judge of the it is that simple, and although it's simple, it's the most difficult. But if you're going through suffering, mm. and and then we can talk pastorally about what you'd say to a person going through suffering. You might not say this, but we're talking here about just the Book of Job and just talking about the Bible in general, not a personal circumstance. But it simply is the suffering that you're going through. Won't the judge of the universe do what is right? Mm. Isn't God in control? Yeah, and suffering really tests that yeah and uh, asks that question in a very poignant way and the most important thing is eternal salvation so tra- believe in lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved it's important to have your eternal soul yeah saved yeah. and then what happens to, your, happens to your spiritual body yes in the short term it's very painful and could be awful for you yeah the physical body the physical body but it's your eternal salvation is the most yeah. important thing and we're given warning against yeah. like you know here in this earth like ro- rust moth everything gets destroyed yeah as of no yeah. value yeah so that I'll, I'll finish with a few thoughts that kind of leads on to um yeah so something else i just want to throw in was i heard from uh, a pastor in america doug wilson um when he was talking about the book of job um it's not really separate it's separate to suffering but it's just something else in today's cancel culture he said about how job was told to apologize for something from his by his friends for something that he never did so his re- response was don't apologize if you haven't done anything wrong and job was right not to apologize because he mm-hmm. didn't do anything wrong and it's kind of if you're interested in greek mythology it kind of relates a bit to the story of oedipus but again i'm not going to bother <laughs> bringing everyone down with that today uh, and then just finally have a larger view of god and a smaller view of man which again you talk about having a humble response or humble humble posture and finally we can reflect critically uh, i said finally like three times there sorry uh, everyone's getting their hopes up uh, and finally for the last time we can reflect critically <laughs> on, uh, on our suffering um because sometimes it is an act of judgment from god again we'll talk about that more next week um but god is not answerable to us and what we know for sure is that he is our best interests in mind and in the end we will reign with him in the new earth where there will be no more suffering so that's everything so for this finally week. guys <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> had to um yeah we we just want to lay this like this is a springboard like most of our conversations for you to delve deeper into this topic Go and search for yourselves, but hopefully that has instilled some interest, simulated some thoughts, uh, and provided some clarity. And we will see you next time on the podcast. See you later.